Welcome to Apartment 309 Podcast, the one-sided storytelling podcast where I dive into true crime or the paranormal and tell it to my captive audience boyfriend while he reacts occasionally. So basically just recording part of our normal day. I'm Lauren. And I'm Eric. And we live in in Apartment apartment 309. All right. So I already know you did not have an exciting week at work. But guess what? What? I heard about Lady Bird Lake in Texas might have an active serial killer right now. Lady Bird Lake in Texas might have an active serial killer. You're just going to repeat everything that I say. No, I'm, I can't believe that you're so excited about it. Well, okay. That's but- horrible. <laughs> It might. (laughs) It's probably just an internet rumor, but there are four bodies that have been found in the last couple of months. They're all, well, they're all men. Most of them are in their 30s. There's one I think was in his 40s. They haven't released, well, at least I didn't look too much into it. They haven't released how they died, but they were all found non-responsive and deceased floating in the lake, which the local PD says there's no serial killer that people die there every year, and it's just a coincidence. (laughs) There's those uh, lethal algae blooms that I guess several dogs have died trying to go swimming. It's You can't go swimming in it. There's alligators that sometimes inhabit it, but you can go fishing. Perfect scenario for a serial killer to be disposing of bodies. That's a hard word to say when you put them together, isn't it? A super serial. Yeah, it's true that, especially in these days, with all the craziness, that people tend to just kind of run with things, you know, especially with, you know, there was the train derailment in Ohio, and then... All I hear about is like train derailments. People are like, oh my God, another train derailment. Oh, another train derailment. And yes, they're terrible, uh, but train derailments happen all the time. Dead bodies end up in lakes all the time. Now, that doesn't mean there's not something shady going on. You start to put patterns together. And you were helping me try to come up with topics for this. And you were talking about Israel Keys. And just a quick look into that. He had a thing for trying to follow patterns with missing people. Like he got his rocks off looking up missing people and following stories. And he thought he picked up a pattern so much so that he brought it up with the FBI before his time here on Earth ended. He uh, brought it up with the FBI that he found a pattern and believed there was an active serial killer in Texas. That's interesting to think that there's like serial killers out there respecting other serial killers works they're like good day it's i wonder Picking up on his work there. if they're like wolves have you ever seen how they track the patterns of wolf packs how they like don't cross each other's borders yeah yeah i wonder if it's kind of like that but well, they, they can say smell that each other's pee maybe that's something to do with the uh kind of similar as a serial killer they kind of mark their territory if you will they they pee on the corners yeah <laughs> well, the uh, the number of uh, the FBI's estimated active serial killers in the United States at any given point in time jumped up in the mid-2010s from something like 18 
don't quote me on those numbers, but something like 18 all the way up to 25 active serial killers. Yeah, but to be fair, most of them probably work at the FBI. (sighs) You mean the CIA? Or the CIA. (laughs) One of those acronyms? Some of those, yeah. (laughs) Active serial killers. Hey, that's actually the topic tonight is a conspiracy theory. Ooh, that gets my fancy. That gets my goad. It No, it's get your goat. My goat? Yep. I don't think it's goat. I think it's goad. I think it's goat. I'm not sure what a goat is, but I think it's goad. Is it butt naked or buck naked? I think I like buck naked better. Why? It makes no sense. I mean, just, I guess a buck is naked. <laughs> that's right. That's true. A buck is typically naked. Typically? <laughs> more often than not just every once in a while seen with a pair of jeans on yeah you gotta Front use the word typically because there is those situations out there where you might see a buck in a nice shirt or, or a pair of slacks and you're like hmm you don't often see that typically <laughs> i have nothing to say to you right now <laughs> you're like five minutes deep into this and i forgot i was supposed to be listening <laughs> i'm supposed to be listening But I like conspiracy theories, and I'm excited for that. Well, you're the one that actually kind of geared me towards this, and then I kept trying to kick you out while I was looking it up and watching stuff on it. I thought there'd be a lot of good good material. Well, for tonight's story, tis a conspiracy theory. All conspiracy theories are theories until they're real. Let's jump back in time to the year 1955. Ooh. We've got two main characters, the well-known UFO fanatic and author, Morris K. Jessup, and the young, mysterious sailor, Carlos Miguel Allende. Okay. Morris Jessup, a man ahead of his time. I don't know if they call him a grandfather of sci-fi, but he penned titles such as The Case for the UFO and UFO in the Bible. He was a well-known author in his day for being somewhat controversial. He picked a really terrible time to start digging into UFOs because it was a time when the government was fighting against people who wanted to believe. People were coming forward with stories about seeing unidentified flying objects. So the government was trying to put a strong front on that they were investigating how real UFOs were while trying to maybe like debunk yeah and explain away well and to de when you take away somebody's legitimacy to delegitimize yeah did is that a word delegitimize okay that to people that were coming like putting things together and writing about it in the public eye right discredit discredit that's a word (laughs) okay so His books are heavily based on what most would consider just conspiracy theories. In his book, The Case for the UFO, he based most of his research leaning heavily on his expeditions to Cusco. He went to the Yucatan. He went to Peru. This was all between 1920 and 1930. He wrote his thoughts mostly on prehistoric super science. And he considered UFOs to be more of a curiosity than a threat. So he felt that maybe they were looking at researching us and we had an opportunity to research and befriend them. There wasn't a threat there. 
according to him. Okay. And then, as I said, Carlos Allende was much more mysterious, only identifying himself as a sailor for the U.S. Navy, and he was acting as a deckhand on a nearby Liberty ship on the day in question. Now let's jump back from 1955 all the way to 1943 to the Philadelphia Harbor, where the USS Eldridge was about to take one seriously bad trip. <laughs> 1943. The U.S. is at the beginning of their involvement in World War II. They were using their destroyers to ferry supplies to the Allies, to ferry people. German U-boats at the time were a lot more maneuverable. They were able to attack these ships, which were not necessarily geared towards fighting. They weren't out there on the front lines. They were just trying to get stuff over to the front lines. Sure. The U-boats were wiping them out. The U.S. decided to come up with a ship that was much better at trying to at least protect the destroyers. So it's called a destroyer escort. They're much smaller. They're not as fast, but they can turn a lot quicker. And they're set up geared towards defense. The USS Eldridge was one of these. With the focus being on defense, a lot of them felt that Einstein wasn't just working on developing new types of bombs. He was also working on experiments involving the unified field theory. Sure. Yeah, the theory of everything. Well, specifically the combination of electromagnetism and gravity. Combining those two things, they felt like maybe they could bend the light to render objects or people invisible. It's also a form of defense from U-boats if you can render your ship invisible oh, sure, yeah. to the radar, to the physical eye. And then they also wanted to try to make them invisible to the magnetic field or yeah, minefields, magnetic minefields that were littering the ocean at the time. The experiment that took place on the USS Eldridge, as it was docked in the Philadelphia Harbor in the summer of 1943, included the use of a skeleton crew on board while they used some high-strength electrical generators to try to render this ship invisible. So they flipped the generators on, and while those are running, witness statements described an eerie green fog envelop the ship. This fog is described as almost being fiery, and the air is described as having been felt as thick. Thick. <laughs> three C's. The ship then vanished from sight, reappearing a few minutes later, so like several minutes later, in a flash of light. Kabow! Same green fog appears, and then boom, ship is back. They all go towards the ship because... All these scientists, all these observers had been standing a safe distance away. <laughs> the crew was on board. <laughs> the unsafe distance away. <laughs> the unsafe distance away. Like, hide in the metal fridge. You'll be fine. They, being the scientists, walk up to the ship. They can't really see anything wrong with it. Ship looks great. Perfect. Guys, we did it. High fives. They get on the boat. Where's the crew? On deck, they find two of the sailors. And this is the... From the mouth of someone who claims they were one of those scientists, actually. Okay, so this is all supposed and alleged. I choose to believe. Sure. But yes. Right. It's a, it's alleged. From the, the mouth of 
the what what is that saying from the horse's from mouth the horse's mouth so from the horse's mouth this guy claims to be a scientist that was there at the time he was part of the crew that made up the experiment and he said they all had kind of a bad feeling before the experiment and then they did it and the ship returns and they're like yes ship is great and they get on board and they find these two sailors on deck in deck <laughs> he described it as them having almost been swallowed they they were not just bonded as part of the deck but they were like in the deck and he said they were dying and near death when the scientists approached them. They go looking for the rest of the crew. And they find two more sailors below deck in the bulkhead also sunk up to their knees as part of the ship now. Almost like the, the particles had come apart and then reattached in the wrong way. Like they had become part of this ship. Oh, geez. Yeah. And then they find another guy and his hand buried up to his wrist was now part of the ship as well. Just buried into the steel. They were now part of the ship. Some of the other guys, I, I'll let you decide if they got lucky or not. They're running around cuckoo bananas, lost their marbles, nonsense. They just, they were not there anymore. So they're running around cuckoo bananas. And then others were actually... They called them frozen. They were like floating in and out of view. They were there and then they weren't. And then they were there and then they weren't. They were like phasing in and out? They were phasing in and out, but it was almost like they were stuck between times. So they weren't moving. They weren't reacting to anything. They were just in and then out. And then they came back and they were gone. And they weren't responding. It, I don't even know what I would have done. The ship left. For several minutes, where did the ship go? At the exact same time that the ship zipped out of view in Philadelphia while everybody's watching it, witnesses in Norfolk, Virginia, saw the green fog appear and then the ship appeared. For the whole time that it was recorded as missing in Philadelphia Harbor, it's now being seen in Norfolk, Virginia. And then, boop, it's gone. That's over 200 miles away. Wow. Who were these other pe other witnesses? I don't know who the witnesses were. There, there was no follow-up on that? I don't Who no. were the people that saw it in Norfolk, Virginia? I don't even know where it landed in Norfolk. That part is a complete mystery? There's no Nobody was like, yeah, it was me. I saw a ship come out of nowhere. I, I don't know. Maybe I missed that part, but nothing that I looked into specified if it was even in the water. Like, it could have just been on land. Wow, that could seems like a pretty big hole. It, well... Think of the hole in your house if that thing just, boop, appeared in your house. What if it was just... Well, yeah, but if somebody claimed to have seen it in another city, I could be like, who was it? Be like, me. I did. I'm Jim Bob. I saw it in another city. There was nobody? I don't know if there was nobody. But you you said there was witnesses that saw it. That's who? according to the I see. So stories. no follow-up on the identity of the witnesses or anything like that? Not that I know of. Okay. I don't know. You're like my mom. When I used to leave to a friend's house, <laughs> what's well, their name? Leaving, what's their phone number? If you're leaving I need holes their social security number. Large? I need their parents' name. I need their sleep schedule. Yeah, if you're leaving holes this large, like I'm going out to someone's house. Whose house? Well, I don't. I I can't answer that. You, the look on your face right <laughs> now, you are like so insulted. <laughs> you're like, I'm not insulted. I'm just kind of bewildered. That's a huge hole. But I'm sorry. Okay. No, cut in anytime. Uh, okay. Just cut me down. 
That's fine. That's why I'm here. <laughs> Humble you. Keep you honest. All right. <laughs> well, I believe me. Now, the boat is back. There's a lot of people that believe this, too. Okay? Boat. It's in Norfolk, Virginia. For all we know, it's going shopping at Abercrombie. It comes back to Philadelphia Harbor with uh, some new decor. Some inlaid. <laughs> locally sourced sailor inlays. <laughs> oh, who designed this room? <laughs> right. Not where I would have put Amazing that. Amazing <laughs> fixtures. They're phasing in and out of time space. How much do you think they spent on this? Yeah, quite a bit. <laughs> Who's the architect? <laughs> okay. The Navy does what all good government departments do to birth a conspiracy. They decided to try to bury it. They forged, and this is all alleged, they forged the deck papers to show who was on it, where it was, all of that. They, they went through and they forged all the deck papers leading up to this incident and then following. They forged the timeline to say that the ship hadn't even been built yet. According to some theories, it happened in the summer of 1943. And then according to some other theories, it happened in October of 1943, October 28th. Now, the ship was supposedly, and I say supposedly, commissioned to be built and was built in August of 1943. If it happened in the summer, supposedly the ship wasn't built yet. And if it happened in October, the ship was built, but then they, they changed the deck papers to show that it was elsewhere, that it was not in Philadelphia Harbor. Okay. As for the sailors that went cuckoo bananas or became one with the ship... They go through, they clean up the ship, and then they report these sailors as missing or dead in action, lost at sea, to their families. We're still at the beginning of World War II. Might not be that hard to believe. They, they cleaned up. The living sailors that went cuckoo bananas end up in institutions. They give them false identities and leave them to live out their lives. Not wanting to waste a perfectly good ship, they send the Eldridge off to war. Right, that's just like the military too. They're like, well, it's still a ship. Yeah, and how they need one of these. Use old plane parts to build new planes because they're like, just reuse it. Right. I oh, think. Don't mind that guy phasing in and out of existence in the basement. You know, I will say, my grandma used to live in Turkey, and I I think you'll connect with this with the the construction side of it. So while I was visiting her in Turkey, there was the teardown of an apartment complex right next to hers. And they were carefully taking it apart because they had the intention of reusing the tiles and reusing the materials that they could from the building as opposed to just bulldozing it and starting from scratch. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of reasons why they wouldn't, you know, um, things wear out. And also it's like cost, you know. Sometimes it's just way cheaper to take a whole building down rather than strip it bare. But when it comes to the ship, though, I'm wondering when the molecules got combined, is it like a bisection? They just clear the dead body off, and now you have this whole bisected torso, and you just kind of veneer over it. <laughs> yeah, just like pave over it. I don't know. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Like, if my hand is fused, there's a lot of things that, you know, you have to consider. With a fusion, I mean, you have a circulatory system and bones and nerves. And, and did they just, like, 
was there a room where there was just like a face in the wall and they're like, I am the boat now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I'm a pickle, Morty. <laughs> right. And th- and yeah, that's part of the thing with the stories is just like, you know, spooky sounding stuff. But then it's like you really consider it like, OK, but well, what is a f- what is a person fused into a ship really? Di- they they would die. Certainly. There'd be no life after fusing with a solid we're talking object. about fusing a a person with a ship and him potentially being like i am the ship what if he wouldn't die what if he's the ship now anything's possible don't tell me it's not (laughs) that's a broad you know assumption no i don't like if i fuse with a solid object i had a point does a solid object now have also have a circulatory system is it an organ what if you don't need them anymore what I mean, if if you really want to break it down, the ship itself is going to have a whole system of inner workings that it needs to function as a ship. We don't think about its comfort level or feeding it and watching it take a crap out in the ocean. Like that's sure, it's but not it's made out of ship, refined so why materials. Why would a circulatory system be necessary if you're one with the ship? Is it more human or ship? I guess is the the bigger I'm question. Not, I'm not saying it would be necessary. I'm saying you're combining two things that don't work together. If I'm part wooden door, then you would expect me to no longer be functioning as a human being. Like that's that's would no you longer. Would still have wood? There's no. Yeah, there <laughs> there was there'd be no blood pumping through it. So you <laughs> so your hand is now fused to a solid object. Where do you start and the solid object begin? Are you more man or door? What is this Jeff Goldblum movie? Is this in Jurassic <laughs> Park? Life uh, uh, finds a way. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not that easy you, you know you get it's, so it's angry nice. when you can't have an answer laid out in front of you yeah it's like it's it's fun for like a reddit thread but it's like not practical my to think brain that... works like a reddit thread right and hey that's actually a really good description of my thought process and you need me to kind of bring it in line and be like yo that don't make no sense y- yeah but i mean do you really want to live life as a dullard i'd like reality I also live here. <laughs> I would assume that somebody, if somebody got fused into a ship, I'm not saying it didn't happen. I mean, if you're messing with like that kind of stuff on a quantum reality, I could totally understand where like a body would get fused into a ship. But those people are no longer, are no more. Like that just don't make no sense. Well, that's the wonderful thing about theories. They don't necessarily have to. That would be a no good theory if it doesn't make sense. Eric's not on board this ship. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't buy a ticket the ship's for this. left the station. This show. All right. So back to this conspiracy theory. The birth of the theory with the Navy burying the experiment. They get rid of the crew, forge the deck papers, forge the timeline. Everybody's dead or lost at sea but really they're probably in waverly hills just wasting away nothing happened yeah right Right. (laughs) look look the other way yeah so they clean up these boats and we don't know if there's a bisected torso that they just paved over but off they send the eldridge to war okay the eldridge is sent from philadelphia harbor up to new york where it's given a whole new cast and crew and they're sent out to casablanca by November for the winter. As one would, yes. The families are all told that 
they died at sea and these witnesses, both in Norfolk and in Philadelphia, are forced to sign non-disclosure agreements. Documents are sealed, probably stuffed in a box, sitting in a basement somewhere. Now, why do we know so many of the nitty-gritty details of the hushed experiment? Well, guess who was crossing his fingers behind his back when he signed the NDA? Carlos Miguel Allende. Allende. He was a fan of Morris Jessup, and more specifically, Jessup's book, The Case for the UFOs, published in 1955. So the experiment happens in 1943. The book is published in 1955. And Allende starts writing these letters to Jessup. Don't necessarily know what they were filled with, what he was specifically writing about. Could have been just fan mail or his own plot lines of books that he came up with, ideas that he had for books. That's when a mysterious package arrives on the doorstep of some curious naval officers within the Office of Naval Research. It was a department developed to help with the writing off or research into UFOs. These two naval officers spent time looking into these unexplained cases, and this package, which is delivered in 1957, had no return address. It was postmarked from Seminole, Texas, and on the back is written, Happy Easter. This was written 1957 in the fall, and he goes, Happy Easter. Inside was Jessup's book, heavily annotated with three different shades of ink. They're all blue, but they're all different shades of blue. And then each shade has a different type of handwriting. There's three. The officers invited Jessup after they'd looked into the book, as he was the author, to come have a look at the writings to see if he could try to make sense of them, see if he understood what they were trying to say. In the notes, there were three writers identified as they call each other different names. So one is named Jemmy. There's another called Mr. A. And the last one's Mr. B. He recognized the writing from Mr. A as being the same handwriting from the letters that he was receiving. The letters had been signed by Mr. Allende. As for the notes in the book that was sent to the Navy, it's a conversation between three different people about how alien spacecraft flew and operated. And then it tells the story of a ship in a naval yard that this experiment had gone horribly wrong with and the Navy had tried to bury it. These officers are investigating the validity of the notes, and Jessup felt like there was many correct details in the scribblings with, you know, the spacecraft, how they flew, how they're operated, because that's what he was also looking into. Eventually, one of the naval officers that's researching this, Captain Shelby, goes and he talks to his friend who owns a publishing company. I can't remember his first name. Somebody, Vero, who published books in Garland, Texas, and this guy is so interested in it, he publishes 127 copies of the annotated book. He prints them off and he puts them out. And I guess they're really hard to get a hold of, but then I went and looked and it says it's published on Amazon now. Of the book with the notes in it? The book with the notes in it. Okay. It's 40 bucks. I didn't have 40 bucks. (laughs) Well, one of the officers, Captain Shelby, described the notes as talking to each other, their conversation, talking to each other as if they were not on Earth a.k.a. aliens. They were speaking to each other as observers of Earth. Excuse me? That's, I mean, if you've got 40 bucks, I'll explain it further. Give me a couple days. The notes in the book were talk, were in conversation with one another as though they were observing the incidents that were described in the book. 
not no not the the happenings from the actual book these are written in the book but then they're not actually talking about the incidents that occurred in the book the the book is a um, talks about how things operate so yes making commentary on it but talking to each other outside of that having conversations outside of the writings in the book so Allende always provided proof of his identity in his letters that he wrote. He included his Siemens ID number and documentation to sort his letters out from the copycats. So once word starts to get out, a lot of copycat writers, and he always included proof of who he was. Semen ID 7416175 wrote some fantastic ideas in that and a lot of them the the conversations we were just talking about solved a lot of the questions that people had about UFOs functionality purpose where they came from stuff like that supposedly I can't believe you're not going to comment on his ID I didn't think it would be appropriate but I thought it so you can take that to the bank <laughs> what kind the of semen bank? bank. <laughs> <laughs> you got to take that out. After meeting the officers and confirming the author of one of those three notes, Allende, the Office of Naval Research scraps the whole idea, says they can't find anything to prove it. The Philadelphia experiment never happened. Well, Jessup decides he'll do his own research on April 19th of 1959. So he'd spent a couple of years doing his own research into it. He calls up his friend, Dr. Manson Valentine. He is exploding with excitement. He's talking to him. He says, I just had a huge breakthrough. Let's talk about it. I want to share it with you. And so they make dinner plans the next day, but Jessup never shows up. So they make plans for the next day and he just never shows up. What a flake. You would think, while well, his car is found at a local park with a hose in on the exhaust connecting to his window, and he is barely alive in the driver's seat. He died shortly after from carbon monoxide poisoning. Oh. But that timing? Interesting. Yeah, interesting. You wouldn't think somebody in that situation would be ready to off themselves. Yeah, it's like you know, some big moment in your life and you're being a little bit cryptic about it because you're making plans to share it with somebody and then you set a date and a time. Most people wouldn't do that, I don't believe. Right, that's fishy. With our one active connection to Carlos Allende now mysteriously dead, what's going to happen? We're left with so many questions. Where do we go from here? A good place to start is maybe, where's Carlos? Where in the world is Carlos Allende? With the letters all having been postmarked from different places, sometimes he would add a return address, sometimes he wouldn't. They're postmarked from all over the country, but there's one place that keeps repeating. Where is it? New Kensington, Pennsylvania. Oh my goodness. We are left to turn to one conspiracy theorist with an alarming number of UFO memorabilia in what he calls his dungeon. His name is Robert Gorman, and he also lives in New Kensington, Pennsylvania. Oh boy. Oh boy is right. This man is really into this, and he realizes he lives in the same town as most of the postmarked letters. 
he makes it his new duty. This is his free time. This is what he's going to do. He's going to track down Allende's origins. In the late 60s, he buckled down his research. But to everyone's dismay, in the summer of 1969, the same military officially states, wait, what? The same military as before. (laughs) We're still in the U.S. The same military. The same military officially states that the UFOs are not real. Figures. Iandi walks into the headquarters of the Aerial Phenomenon Research Organization and proclaims that his whole story was a hoax. He made the whole thing up. Best lie he ever told. And his real name is Carl Meredith Allen. Carl made the whole thing up, and apparently he was getting jealous that others were profiting off of his story. He made it up. He's the one who put forth the effort to contact the right people and came up with the whole tale himself. Who is Carl slash Carlos? Carlos Allende, a.k.a. Carl Meredith Allen. He was born in Springdale, Pennsylvania on May 31st of 1925. And he was, by his own brother's account, an intelligent man, but not a smart man. And he differentiated those two by telling us that Allen had tested with the second highest IQ in the county while in ninth grade, and then subsequently flunked out that same year. Huh. You could be intelligent without being smart. Too smart for school. <laughs> well, they they weren't challenging him. Sure, yeah, that's what my mom told me. <laughs> <laughs> well, he really was a sailor in the Navy at the time, but he was also known for his fantastical ideas and just kind of being a little bit out there we're left wondering what did Jessup discover because now he's dead why Alan slash Allende is saying he lied and as of 2020 knowing that the Navy lied about UFOs at the time because they released all the documentation what do we believe in all of this So you were arguing earlier against the idea that it could have been a whole cover-up because it just doesn't make sense and where would it go and where who are these witnesses? I wasn't arguing against a cover-up. I was asking about the specifics. Mm. Like, okay, there was witnesses in West Virginia. But who? Or was it Virginia, Norfolk, Virginia? Yeah. But yeah, who? Like that's such an open-ended claim. Right. Well, it's also an open-ended thing to be like, and the scientists boarded the ship. Yeah, any good conspiracy theory uh, involving the Navy has to have scientists. You got to throw the scientists in there. You got to throw scientists the in scientists there. The scientists boarded the ship. Who is the scientist? Neil deGrasse Tyson. What? Neil deGrasse Tyson. No, his. I, I'm trying to remember his name. I think mm. his name was Al Bielik. I see. Says he was there. Says he was traumatized. Right. No, I was just mostly harping on the details. I need details. Why are you going after Tyson? I, w- I was just throwing out a scientist's name. <laughs> First one that popped into your head. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, the the Navy released all the, the documentation, which I thought would have been more than just a drop in the bucket, but it ended up being a drop in the bucket because it was also right when COVID happened. I think it was the end of April they released those papers and then the murder hornets and the toilet paper life hacks, like everything was happening and it was... Bonkers. Right. I also don't think that Neil deGrasse Tyson is a scientist. I think he's just like an astrophysicist. He's not a type of scientist. What does it take to qualify as a scientist? Perform science. <laughs> I mean, I do that in the kitchen. 
You are a scientist. I am a food scientist. You are a scientist. But yeah, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't, especially like the idea of a cover up. Um, I have zero problem accepting the fact that the U.S. government or um, the military would actively cover up something. That is the most plausible. That's part the most of the believable part of this. Whole yeah, story. that is like okay. That's for sure. If anything happened, they covered it up. Otherwise, no. I just I just asked for, for specifics. I mean, even things that I'm like full-heartedly believe in i mean you know me i'm with like conspiracy theories i'm like ready to go i'm like oh yeah that happened but i'm still you got to be kind of skeptical with most stuff you got to ask questions because it's it's true for sure of like the conspiracy stuff too where people will just say something and they expect you to just kind of skate by it where they're like oh yeah like witnesses in norfolk virginia who were these witnesses like it was it just a fisherman with his kid on the lake or was it like another base or was it just some schmo but like to have no answers that's like if if i'm giving a police report and some and i'm like yeah other people saw it too like they they saw the guy with the knife stab somebody and they're like who and i'm like well what's what are you harping on the details bro like no you can't just say other people saw it well okay fair enough have there no one be there (laughs) However, when it comes to conspiracy theories, first and foremost, I choose to believe. And a close follow-up is, I don't necessarily want to get stuck on all of the little bitty details. Yeah, I want a timeline. Yeah, I want some of those details. But I don't need to know who this person was, first and last name, where they were living, what they were doing at the time. If I am going to sit here and make it my life's work to try to convince everybody that this is right, I don't feel the need to try to convince a room full of people because I'm okay with the information in front of me enough to believe that. Sure, but this is a key element of the story. For you. You know, it's it's central. For you. No, 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 not for me. For the whole story coming together. If someone goes, oh yeah, it disappeared from from philadelphia and you're like okay and like and other people saw it reappear in virginia 200 miles away can you believe that that's the that's a central part of the story and then you go who saw it like what are you harping on the details like no that's that like the story no longer is what you're claiming it to be you're so aggressive right (laughs) if you can't say like that's that's a central piece of the story I am okay picturing the ship like a beached whale in some suburban neighborhood in Norfolk, Virginia (laughs) for seven minutes surrounded by green fog. And then poof, it's gone. Well, if you're okay with that, that's fine. Yeah, I'm perfectly fine with that. I am. You don't have to be not fine. I'm accepting the rest of the story as it stands without that information. Excellent. Because I'm willing to admit I don't know everything about it. Sure. I'm just saying that's the part that I was harping on. I wasn't harping on the whole story. I'm just the the, the claim. Was or are? Was. <laughs> like, I got a good lean in for that one. All right. So where we left it is that Carl walks in, says, hey, I made a whole thing up. It was all a lie. And his brother's like, yeah, he's smart, but he's not smart. And uh, we're left with a whole bunch of questions still. Zipping through to 1975, Charles Berlitz writes and publishes a book called The Bermuda Triangle, and it's a huge hit. 
So he takes that and just kind of hops on that train and keeps riding it. And he publishes another one called The Philadelphia Experiment. It brings that back into the limelight. This whole theory that had been underground that had a huge following. And then Alan walks in. He's like, nah, it was a lie. Now Charles Berlitz is following it as if it were real. And Alan then comes in and recants his whole confession saying he lied about lying. And then he gives the name of the boat for the first time. So we've known the name of the boat, the USS Eldridge, but none of these other people had been told which boat it was. So they're all following this story and looking into this and trying to research it without even knowing the name of the boat. No wonder they couldn't find anything. <laughs> there, was not, there was really nothing for them to go off of that, that you want to talk about a key element, the name. Back to Gorman. So the enthusiastic nerd dungeon personal mission to find Alan Guy. He was just by chance talking to a neighbor in 1979, so 10 years after the confession. This neighbor announces that he is Carl Allen's father, which I was trying to do the math there. That man was old. He'd been around for a hot minute. If you ever look at a picture of Carl Allen, that man lived his life to the fullest. <laughs> old fella, huh? Okay, Carl Allen's father just by chance is Gorman's neighbor. He has a huge box in his basement and he's like, wait a minute, that's my son. I've got all of these things that he wrote us because he used to do that all the time. He wrote in books, he wrote on paper, he wrote on scraps, doesn't matter. He would send it to us. Let me get this for you. You take a look at it. So he comes out of his basement with just this massive box and Gorman's like, I don't really believe any of this. Well, he's sifting through all of this paperwork and then he finds the original semen document and confirms that yes, this is indeed Carl Allen's father and a box full of Carl Allen's crazy writings. He finds dozens of books. He's got all, he's looking through them. He's reading through them. Well, Alan had gone through and rewrote whole portions of the story, creating new ones in the margins or just editing the books as he saw fit. He really, he took these books and created his own stories out of them. He didn't ever really create his own story from scratch. He always did it with somebody else's something. Mm. So his family knew him as someone who wrote those notes, uh, rewrote the stories and then mailed all of them to people that he felt might be interested in them. It wasn't just his family receiving them and it wasn't just Jessup receiving them. He had been mailing them out to people for decades. Was the Philadelphia experiment just another one of Carl's fantastic ideas? I mean it was his style but he also just kind of reshaped things that he'd already seen or heard or read. He didn't really come up with stuff from scratch. So is this something that he witnessed and then just built off of? Created his own story from it? Because with Jessup out of the picture and Carl not being like the most straightforward character, we might never really know what happened in 1943. Had he already passed by the time that they were talking to his dad? Let me see. He had a couple of brothers. He died March 5th of 1994. So this was several years before he passed away. Huh. Interesting. So there was never, so there was no follow-up after that discovery with him? No. I think Gorman maybe got a little disheartened by the findings. It kind of yeah. 
it took the steam out of his hot air balloon. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, that would be something else to find out that he had just been, like, uh, essentially writing fan fiction. Yeah. And the part where he was upset that people were monetizing his, I guess, retelling of the stories mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden later on recanted his admission so that he could end up in a book. It yeah. sounds a lot like he was out for kind of just recognition, you know, yeah. and he kind of got wrapped up in his own fan fiction. Maybe. Yeah. And it, and it almost kind of begs the question of like, what if he was not involved? You know, would the story have evolved on its own? And maybe people would have been directed towards more of a tangible angle with the story if he wasn't there writing fan fiction and just kind of interjected himself. Because really, if you think about it, he doesn't really have much to do with the story itself, only that he kind of comes in later and attributes himself, he puts himself into it. So like he kind of, he kind of becomes a character only because he's writing stories. But... It didn't exist with him in it. He wasn't really necessarily part of it until he made himself part of it. So the story is really there still. And the theory is really it's still there if he was never part of it. But he kind of made himself a central figure of it. No, I don't think he made himself a central figure. He was a deckhand on a neighboring ship. Yeah, but he, po he, he positioned himself as a witness. Yeah. And he positioned himself as a almost like a whistleblower in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That does definitely bring into question a lot of the stuff. But he was a seaman. Is that right? At one point in his life. At one point in his life. For a short very early on. He was he he was like in the navy. Yes, he was actually in the navy. Okay, so he was actually he was in the navy. enlisted. So that's interesting. Yeah, I mean the the best lies are uh half truths. Born from truth, yeah. So that's that's where I kind of stand is I think that uh, well and a lot of other people actually think that it's called I think degaussing where they were working on trying to make the ships invisible to the magnetic minefields that maybe he witnessed them working on something like that and over elaborated which I'm known to do as well I think we're all a little guilty of that his just became public yeah I don't know I don't know. It sounds like over-elaborating. It, it sounds like he was just writing stories, and then it kind of turned into, oh, you're part of this. And then he was like, heck yeah, I am. Like, you know, he kind of maybe took it maybe a little further than he wanted to. I don't know. It's an interesting story. And it's too bad that we don't have too much from him other than the stuff that he was writing. Yeah. Well, like that I said, look up a picture of him. He looks like a character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he looks like he had a, a fun life. I don't know what he did. I have heard stories about him. Um, it reminds me of who is the guy. He uh, he worked at S4, which is like close to Area 51, and he had been... Oh, Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar, yeah. There's a lot of interesting stuff on him. He's a whole episode in on himself, but he had worked uh, close to Area 51 at a base called S4 and had supposedly worked on trying to reverse engineer technologies that the military, according to them, that they told him they had found. Like the extra element? Well, yeah, he had he had worked with an element, but 
the central part of the story was that he was trying to reverse engineer a propellant system, like a like an actual system that they use for flight. He had to get ejected from the program because his personal life was kind of beginning to become rocky. So they couldn't have him in an ultra-sensitive project like that. So they let him go from the project, but he didn't know why. Him thinking that the government was going to come after him, he ended up kind of putting this all out there of the things that he knew and had experienced and had observed. And the way he did it was actually where he took a bunch of his friends out in the middle of the night to observe test flights in the middle of the night of all these like supposed anti-gravity craft and they caught it on video. And uh, yeah, it's a whole what? crazy story. And he's still around. Maybe he, you should do an episode. On Bob Lazar. On Bob Lazar. It's a heavily covered one, but it would be fun to talk about. And they supposedly they the military had told him, he, even he says that he doesn't know if it's true, but that they had supposedly recovered a craft from a species that came from the Sirius Star Galaxy. The Sirius uh, star in Andromeda galaxy. I could be totally fudging all of that up. I'm not I'm an astronomer. But uh, yeah, they had like Sirius B, I think it was. And they came from that star system. And that that's how they had, de- they had a, 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 where from they had acquired all this technology. And, the, and he's like, I don't know if that's true. That's just what they told me. He's like, that could have totally been BS as far as I'm concerned. He's told the story quite a bit since, like, the, I think this, the late 70s. Dang. Yeah, so that reminded me of him. Um, Interesting. Well, yeah, you'll have to tell us more about it when you get some more of the, the details. Yeah, that would, be, that would be fun to talk about. So what do you think? You're a believer. I'm a believer. A believer. <laughs> Just kidding. No, I believe, though. I, I believe, if nothing else, then there is some truth hidden within that. Yeah, and I can agree with that. There's it came from something. Even if it's not green fiery fog with a disappearing ship, it's there's something. There's something to it. So right. I look forward to to when you do an episode. <laughs> we'll see. Thank you all so much for joining us tonight in apartment three oh nine. Please feel free to send us your story, whether it's about your experience with the paranormal, true crime alien encounters or anything of the like you can email us at apartment 309 podcast at gmail.com you can visit our website apartment 309 podcast.com follow us on instagram at you guessed it apartment 309 podcast don't forget to rate and review and tell your friends be sure to follow us so you don't miss one of our weekly episodes and we hope you join myself lauren and eric next time in apartment Apartment 309. 309.